Coming up on this edition of the Golf Digest podcast, we discuss a new world number one and have a chat with the man who played all top 100 Golf Digest courses in a single year. My God, my swing feels like an unfolding lawn chair. Why do they even have one if you're not supposed to hit it there? Because it's fun. We're having fun. What is this, custom? Mine's off the rack. I wish Tiger Woods was here to help me with this. We'll do it live. Welcome back to the Golf Digest Podcast. I'm Alex Myers. Today I'm joined in studio by Sam Wyman, Steve Hennessy. Guys, we have a new world number one, uh, Brooks Kepka. I think, you know, we've kind of seen this coming, I guess, but for him to officially do it, um, you know, and we've seen guys do it in different ways by, you know, not playing, by you know, Justin Rose did it by losing in a playoff. He did it by winning, which is kind of cool. Uh Talk about uh, Brooks getting to the top spot. I know for me, I don't know if you feel the same way, Steve, but I feel like because there's been so much turnover in that top spot, it almost loses some of its luster. Not to take anything away from Brooks Kepka, who obviously has played better golf than anyone over the last you know eight months, but you know when it's you know a guy has it for two weeks, guy has it for three weeks, guy regains it for a week, um, it feels like it's not as impressive unless he's number one for a sustained period of time right i think golf fans feel that way too they kind of tune out this world number mm-hmm. one ranking a bit because they're every week oh justin rose is now number one. Oh, now it's kepka who was jt it's still a mark of how impressive you've been over the last two years so don't want to take that away from kepka and apparently this means a lot to kepka from what we've heard yeah. you know he kind of has an opinion on what people uh, are saying about him. So. I'm going to be just cutting right into his uh, sentence. Yeah, you're just, yeah. just, just ripping it apart. Like, yeah, not a big deal. Now we don't care about it anymore, Brooks. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Now, now that you got to the top. Of the All mountain. that being said, he, you know, you can't argue he's not the best player in the world right now. He's won two majors, you know, this year and three of the last two years. He's got so much firepower, so much talent. It's it's so impressive to watch him play. It's, it's fun. It's really funny though because athletes are always questioned: Can they win the big one? We know he can win the big one, but now it was like, can he win a regular tournament? Which is which is kind of silly because you knew at some point he he was going to, but his last three wins were majors. Um, after his first win back in Phoenix, I think in 2014. So now he now he's got three majors and two regular wins. Uh, this was actually a pretty big one, just from a financial uh, part. It, you know, it was the highest purse other than a major or WGC, but. How many people really watched it? And yeah. and that's the problem, too, because he's the guy who feels disrespected and all this. And meanwhile, he finally gets to number one, and I'll be the first one to admit I woke up the next day and had to find out. Although I did I, – I thought about staying up, but – Actually, I would have been staying up for the, that Lakers-Rockets game. But right. I was also like, eh, Brooks is playing too. But, yeah. but anyway, the point is it's just kind of funny that that's kind of what, how he does it. You know, everything kind of comes with a small right. asterisk of some sort. But, yeah, look, when it all when it's all – and, you know, what else is going to happen is that people are going to look back at, you know, when we talk about his season in April or May, it's very easy to, for people to forget that he won in October in Korea because yes. it's just like it's sort of this, you know – curious part of the schedule that people yeah. tend to overlook yeah i don't think anyone remembered come april that justin thomas won this last right. year and that he became number one right here so you know it it is big for brooks and we don't want to take that away but like you said so few people were watching coverage started at 10 30 at night on the east coast and it ended 
you know, while everyone was sleeping. Yeah. So yeah. basically, what we're saying is we're not that impressed. So come back. To <laughs> Do a little more breath. Yeah. Yeah. He even made a, a closing eagle to right. kind of cap it off. He won chip by in four at, shots. At a chip 16. in on sixteen. So yeah, I mean, he he definitely it was a spectacular win. It just probably wasn't at, at the right time. Um, interesting to note him g- getting to number one. There's a little bit of a little bit of more history here with the official world golf ranking, which goes back to 1986. It's the first time ever that the current top four, and that's Brooks, Dustin, Johnson, uh, Justin Rose, and Justin Thomas, were all number one in the same hmm. year. So you you kind of, I get what Sam's saying, and I I do agree with you. I think. The more it changes, the less we kind of care about. Although some people would argue we don't care about it in general, but I don't think that's true. But it does show you the top four are right up there, and sure. they're the ones doing this kind of musical chairs. And I, you know, it's I think that's good. But that underscores my point that it will be really impressive if he holds on to it because he's all oh, these yeah. guys who obviously have enough points to overtake him probably at some point if he has. If he has a soft couple weeks and they have mm-hmm. a hot couple weeks, it can quickly change. But if he sort of takes it and holds on to it for. Yeah. Six months. Yeah, that would be pretty remarkable because he's now separating himself from this, right. you know, pretty challenging field. Right. Exactly. Usually, someone else in that top four is is on the way down, but no, that's not the case with right. any of those guys mm-hmm. right now. So you're right. It, there's a chance that this will keep flipping back and forth. I, actually, he's 28 years old. Tiger holds the record for 683 total weeks. For Brooks to catch that, he would be 41 years old. Remarkable. <laughs> straight. So uh, he would have 13 years straight. Yeah. He'd have to do it. Well, yeah. Right. From now. Um, also, it's only the, it's the second time for four different players in the same year. So this is really unusual for, again, the musical chairs thing at the top. And that was 1997 uh, when Tiger became number one after Greg Norman. Els was also number one. And Tom Lehman. Tom Lehman, mm. one week. Exactly. That's right. One week. What, so a, what a week it was. It's, uh, it's <laughs> unusual, but fun times at the, at the top of the... Yeah, that just speaks yeah. to how how good the best players in the world yeah. are. I mean, those are the ones who are dominating from a week-to-week basis. And so it's not a surprise, really, for those four, A, to be ranked in the top four in the world right now, but also to have switched off as number one. Yeah, so. and I, I think I was just looking, too, uh, in the last eight years, there have been 11 new world number ones, and there were only 12 in the first 25 years of mm-hmm. the ranking. So, and of course, again, Tiger was taking up a lot of the hogging it, but... Uh, by the way, last week I think it was we talked about the World Golf Hall of Fame and criteria mm-hmm. for the World Golf Hall of Fame. And one thing we never talked about was obviously two majors, winning X yeah. number of tournaments. We never talked about ascending to number one in the world ranking. Yeah. I mean, that's that's got to be something. I mean, it's, it's not a major, but I, it's definitely a testament to something because it also speaks right. to how you compared to your peers Ex- during mm-hmm. your career. Yeah, they always say that in baseball. Like, was this player ever the best at his position, even for a year or so? And if you're number one in the world, of course – you're you're the best, and that's Phil Mickelson was never number one. Again, he of course he's a World Golf Hall of Famer, but it is it just shows you how tough it is. Again, he had bad timing, but he was never number one in the world, and he was never Player of the Year, which Brooks it's just amazing. did both of those things. Right, Phil Mickelson, who's maybe one of the top ten players ever, has never right done. So you're right. I think those that kind of that's is something that should be included, obviously, on the resume when they when they vote. Um, all right, we have a new number one. We also have a new Johnny Miller, officially, we you know we kind of figured this was coming last week when when Miller made it official he was retiring and it, the rumors were that Azinger Paul Azinger was going to replace him. Now that he is the guy, uh, 
you know, what, what kind of uh, transition can we expect here? Will, will it be pretty smooth? I think so. I've been a fan of Paul Ezinger's work. He, you know, the way he kind of analyzes an event, he has a way of telling it in a very, um, you know, informal way that kind of engages the audience, I think, and explains things pretty easily. I kind of liken it to, uh, to Collinsworth in football. Mm. He, he does a good job of explaining sort of the intricacies of what the tour pros going through. It's very similar to what Johnny Miller right. was good at, um, but in a way that people can understand and isn't over their heads. So I think he's going to do a good job. He has done a, a great job. I've, I've thought uh, he's ranked at the top of the, the polls of, you know, the most popular announcers in our, in our studies that we've done. So, uh, you know, good for Paul and uh, I'm sure golf fans will be sad to see Johnny go too. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan. I've always, I've always have been, I, I agree with Steve. I feel like, um, analytical guy but also very conversational so he's not talking over people's heads but just has a way of relating what the golfer is going through in a way and I, I think that the knock against Johnny especially later in his career was that he wasn't very much in touch with mm-hmm. players you know in terms of personally I mean, he obviously knew the game really right, well right. but didn't really necessarily have a relationship well obviously Zinger has a little bit more he's a bit younger he was a mm-hmm. Ryder Cup captain yeah. pretty recently I think he's I think he's a a, just a really entertaining guy. He's one of those guys. When I first started covering golf, um, I took an immediate liking to. Mm-hmm. Like he just was really easy to talk to. He was really thoughtful. He's like if you had a, to ask a, a player an opinion about whatever, it didn't matter if it had to do with plays or just something about going on on tour. Mm-hmm. Why is Tiger so yep. good? What you know? Where do you like to go on the road? He was the type of guy who always gave you, again, thoughtful answers, entertaining answers. Um, and I just think it's a great mix, so I'm I'm, uh, I'm excited for it. It's him. so you saying that just now made me remember flashback to our journal news days mm-hmm. covering uh, the Buick or the Barclays, whatever mm-hmm. it was at the time. And I remember it was a, a total washout one day, so I had nothing. Right, you just, like you, you have a full special yeah, section of Phil. And I went into the <laughs> locker room and I found Paul Easinger, and I forgot what it was, but it, I think I talked about like alternates or something but he was great and he talked and he gave me all these great quotes and he was really he was he was so nice and uh, you're right he was kind of like a go-to i mean i stumbled upon him but you're right he really was a go-to quote like like a jeff ogilvy is right now. yeah i was yes. gonna say that yeah. too very much like ogilvy Which, uh, he's a guy who people have talked about sure. potentially getting into the booth but of course he's he's still playing but yeah azinger um i i agree i i'm a big fan um, I, I was also obviously we've talked about. I mean, a huge fan of Johnny's, but um, no, Azinger's going to do a nice job. You, you look like you want to add. Something no, to I was just going to say relating to what you're saying. My yeah. first year, again, not to bore everyone with stories about my old days, but literally PGA Championship, Wingfoot Golf Club, 1997. He's talking. I think it was after the first round. He probably shot like one over or even part. Mm-hmm. He was kind of in the mix. So he's talking, and he mentioned that he went to some local park. Remember, I'm a local newspaper. He talked about some local park. They were doing some sort of fly casting lesson in the park, and these kids started throwing rocks at him. <laughs> and literally, <laughs> this was like, again, local people, like, this was huge news. Huge so I had news. to, like, track, follow him yeah. back to the room and get all the details yeah. and lock it down. And, and, you know, he humored me and gave me the full story. And then we became this huge philosophical discussion about kids today and how they're misguided they are. Oh but anyway, I always kind of have that that story that I go back to because he just, like, again, very engaging guy. Yeah, and there's no ego to him either. Like, you could approach him about that, and he's not going right. to shoo you off as some local guy. Like, you know, I don't have time for you during a major week. And I think that approach carries over to his, his broadcasting skills too. I think that's why people like him. 
Yeah, and now we're gonna. He's gonna be the guy for uh, two of the majors every year because he's staying with Fox to do the U.S. Open and the U.S. Women's Open. Not more than two majors. I'm not. I'm talking about two men's majors. He's gonna be doing obviously the British Open and the U.S. Open now. And in addition, the Ryder Cup every two years. So he's kind of. I mean, he yeah, all he'll of be a sudden the guy. Is, is the guy. Which is interesting. Yeah, you know, one thing I was going to say real quick is that, like, you look at Johnny Miller, who obviously, at the time of his career, you know, was one of the best players in the world. Had a, just a classic golf swing. You look at Paul Azinger's golf swing, and it's kind of ugly. It was very mm-hmm. flat. And obviously, he got to a point where he was one of the best players. Was he number one? He was world number one, I think, at one point. Did he get number one? I mean, he might have been. Or even though he was very, he was definitely at the top of his sport. He was a guy who really maximized his his game and they always talk about you know the guys who make great coaches and great analysts are the guys who are not necessarily the best player but the guys who sort of have to think the game a little bit more Mm -hmm. and he would fall into that category right you know like has to has to uh process things that more that the average golfer does than you know these super freaky freakish talents like johnny miller or tiger Woods. because it didn't come as easily to him so he could kind of convey what he learned in a way that you know the average guy can right. understand that's why you're such a gifted writer because you're such a terrible golfer yeah that's very true <laughs> that would be both of those <laughs> um yeah all right well moving on we had sergio garcia pick up a third straight win at the andalusia valderrama masters i hope i said that very right. good but it was interesting because the third win was in 2011 there was a big gap and now he's been the host the last two years and it, it's not a great field um, and he's actually, uh, more on this later, he's actually really buoyed his kind of world ranking on, on this event. But anyway, it was good to see him back. He, obviously, the, that Ryder Cup seems to have rejuvenated him. And in the lead-up to the tournament, he played in this player caddy soccer game, and he showed off an incredible yeah. left foot on a, on a, I don't know what the jargon is here, but it was a deep shot on goal that he scored in yeah. soccer soccer match steve i don't know you're more a soccer guy serge i mean he's (laughs) such a soccer fan he He owns his own soccer team right but yeah good for sergio to get the win uh apparently he's a really good tennis player too really good yeah just a good athlete he he is and everybody says that but i just remember i i don't know what i want to say it was the greenbrier it was some tournament and they had like an outtake of him playing and they showed one clip of him (laughs) and he was at the net and he got the easiest volley and just Butchered it into the uh, net. Yeah. So that's the only tennis highlight I've ever seen of him. It was <laughs> like, like, yeah, like, embarrassingly bad. But people say he's pretty good. And he he's said that he's I forgot what he told me about his handicap if he was soccer or so. He, he's I think he was like a low right. low handicap. I mean I don't know this goal he scored hit whatever shot uh, looked pretty impressive to me. It, it bent like crazy. Yeah. No I yeah. think he's I think yeah, he's, he's a good legit. athlete. He's yeah. a good athlete. Well, we. we um, Speaking of around-the-world stuff, we have uh, our interview today is with Jimmy James, who we talked about last week. He played all top 100 of the Golf Digest top 100 in one year and one month. He had a, The Augusta happened like a month earlier, but whatever. We give him, we yeah, give we'll him give a him pass, pass for that. Um, he, next up, he wants to take on some of the world top 100. That's going to take him a lot longer, obviously, because of travel. But um, he, I, I think he's going to do it if he could do the top 100 in, in the U.S. in one year. But anyway, Steve, I, I saw by your desk you have the uh, the beautiful board with yeah. the top 100 courses. You have the little pegs in there. Yep, Golf many, Digest 100 Greatest yeah. Peg Board. I mean, and it is the premier list of rank course ranking, of, of course. course. The oldest and yep. best. Oldest and the best. That's right. Uh, but you have the board. How many have you played, Steve? 
So I've played 19 of the 100 greatest. That's it? Yeah. I know. It's nothing pathetic. Nothing to Jimmy James. <laughs> you know what? We should cut Steve out of the interview. I didn't, I didn't realize it was that. <laughs> you know. He's like our I know. first guru, too. Come on. Were 29 you, played 19 almost, of them. Almost 20%. I, right. 19 is really good. I actually just went through it myself. I was surprised I've played 11. That's mm. good, too. It's not terrible. Not It's no Steve. But, yeah, you, you've <laughs> played no Oakmont. Steve. You've played some of these places that are you know seem like they'd be impossible to get on. Sam, do you know how many you've played? No, I was just going to do it. Okay, really? you look it up. I'm going to look, look it up. While we're talking. Um, but I, I don't even claim to become close to Steve. But No, no, no. I know you've played a few, though, because you've played um, Aaron Hills. You've played Whistling Straits. Yes. We've all played Pine Valley. Beth Page. You've played Pine Valley. Yeah, no Boom. big deal. Oh, no so you've deal. played the, the best of, of any of us, I guess, uh, the top one. What, what's your favorite, Steve? Tough to say my favorite. Yeah. Um, might you've be, played, obviously. Might be Oakmont. Played yeah. it twice, so I kind of have a good appreciation yeah. of it. Just the design variety, all the, all the greens are so interesting. Uh, I think that's what makes like Wingfoot so interesting are are the greens, and people might not appreciate that on the first time around. Shinnecock's mm-hmm. so good, but I think what's so impressive. Oh, you just casually dropped in your foot, Shinnecock. Yeah, yeah. No <laughs> it's okay. Um, but I think what's so impressive about Jimmy, and I'm yeah. sure you got this impression too, is that he his story. He's a self-made guy. Oh yeah. Usually these people who are on a quest to play the 100 greatest courses you know they're so well connected they have members at all these clubs they have and, a private jet or something right <laughs> like the one guy bob mccoy who played the 100 greatest in 100 days that's what he did he used a yeah. private jet and just yeah. you know jetted around every course Unreal. you know yeah. that's really impressive but what made jimmy so impressive to me was he really had to work his connections yeah and he started at augusta which yeah like he said is is was vital to doing this but exactly um yeah his story is is pretty inspirational for anyone who wants to do this sort of thing you know definitely read about what he did and uh you know yeah pretty cool i mean he obviously work you know he he's obviously retired this is his first year of retirement um we talked about it that that was what really struck me a lot and it was the same when i did the story a couple years ago on the guy who played 878 times in one year barry gibbons he these guys just retired from really high stress jobs they needed something a goal they needed to stay driven Mm -hmm. and this was his way of doing it and you know again he he deserves it after a long career and you know working his butt off and working his way up the chain at, at exxon and all that, but he and he also has a, a great wife who, who yeah. not only got him his first set of clubs when he was 45, but also encouraged this quest. So, yeah, he he's it's an amazing story. Um, it, it's something that, you know, it has us all probably thinking, what how could we pull off something similar? Um, but yeah, my, uh, Sam's still. I'm still counting. I'll be there in a second. Courses. Scrolling not through our hundred greatest, but he has to go through them all. Um, my favorite. And it's probably because it's the best I've played. I, oh, no, no, actually, Wingfoot, I think, is the top one I've played. My favorite, though, is the Ocean Course, mm-hmm. Kiowa. It's just so spectacular. Um, really I, tough, I, too. So, so tough. So you I, appreciate that. I caught it on back-to-back days, and we were very lucky the wind wasn't crazy either day. So that probably added to my enjoyment level because right. if the wind picked up at all, I mean, wow. But just... I think 13 of the holes are right on the water. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just spectacular. The driving range kind of goes, just disappears into the sand there on the beach. I mean, it it's it's awesome. They're big gators also you got to watch out for. All right. You, you look 21. Like 21. Wait, uh, are you serious? Yeah. 20, and, 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 and you're throwing smack no, at me. No, but again, I don't, I'm, not the, I'm not the coordinator for our golf. I just I, rank no, I'm stunned. I'm stunned. I would have thought you were going to say like five or something. 
I don't know why. A lot of gray hair here. Um, and if you count, if you factor in like the typical sports writer, like golf courses I've walked, which is a very oh high, yeah, 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 I, would, yeah, I think I might be close to fifty, but twenty one. Wow. Yeah, yeah, so. I, right. I mean, I've walked. We've all walked Augusta. Right. Uh, I've walked Pebble. Didn't play it. Stevie's you playing. didn't walk. I thought you played it that year. No, you I went played out. Spyglass. It was oh. closed. It was closed for the Open. Pebble. Wow, 21. 21, I know. What's I your would, favorite, Sam? Yeah, what's your favorite then? <sighs> Gosh. I mean, you know, again, it's very difficult for me to rate golf courses because you constantly put it through the prism of your own experience and how. Which is right. what you should do. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but like if you play like crap. Yeah, you uh, should be able sure. to separate I, uh, that. Yeah. Right. So I would probably, probably say Pacific Dunes. I think mm, it's, sure. one of them, it's such a beautiful spot and such a kind wow. of. Amazing, you know, like obviously, I think Wingfoot. No, I'm sorry, Pine Valley. I've played Pine Valley is the is the highest ranked place I yeah. played. Uh, did not play particularly well there. Shinnecock was pathetic. How bad I was. Yeah. I mean, it was amazing. Well, both of those but again, are like, so hard. But even that experience, like again, this is why I can't be a golf digest uh, panelist, is because I got it on a very cold, difficult day, mm-hmm. and so in my mind, I'm. It's impossible for me to separate how difficult the day was mm-hmm. from the sort of architectural value of the golf course. Right. Mm. Whereas, you know, I got Pacific Dunes on an absolutely perfect mm-hmm. August day. Yeah. And it was just majestic. But what's such a big part of it, too, is how much fun you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, Pacific Dunes, that's like the epitome of fun while still being hard. Right. But you can't. Well, I pre- played Pine Valley with our boss, so I can't have that much fun, right? Mm-hmm. It's a little <laughs> more challenging. So That's another element yeah. to it. I, well, you know, I, I always remember that I would have played one more Friars Head but you didn't let me go to this Ooh, wow and I I, I remember that forever because I I, Friars Head (laughs) is apparently one of the toughest courses to get on I didn't know that at the time I thought eh it'll Hmm. come around again maybe some Friars Head members are listening right now if you're listening and you are a member at Friars Head yeah Alex Myers at (laughs) golfdigest.com Uh, well, Jimmy, uh, well, well, let's get into Jimmy's talk. Uh, he, he gives his own top five. He gives uh, some of his best experiences, some of his stories, some advice on how you could maybe pull this off as well. So uh, please have a listen to our talk with Jimmy James. Before we go on, let me talk for a second about Golf Digest Schools. Golf Digest Schools is our new cutting-edge video instruction platform offering more than 250 classes on every part of the game and featuring the leading teachers in golf, from Butch Harmon to David Ledbetter to Michael Breed. Unlike the quick tips you can find across the Internet, these are full game improvement programs meant to be followed step-by-step as if you were working with a pro. It's like Masterclass meets Netflix, but even better because there's the added promise of feedback. To sign up for Golf Digest Schools, go to golfdigest.com backslash access and use promo code SCHOOLS to get 30% off an annual subscription. Again, golfdigest.com backslash access and use promo code SCHOOLS. All right. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Golf Digest podcast Jimmy James, who just pulled off a remarkable feat playing all top 100 of Golf Digest's top 100 courses in the same year, Jimmy. Thanks for coming on, man. You you uh, you're quite a celebrity all of a sudden. Uh, thanks for having me, Alex. Uh, appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. Sure. Um, all right. Well, first we got to start. Everyone who pulls off these these type of feats, playing so much golf here and there, they always say, "How did they talk their spouse or their family into letting them doing this?" So 
obviously you must have a very understanding family. Uh, my wife is a partner in crime <laughs> in, in this. It was actually something that she did that led to the idea. Oh. Uh, initially, I was going to, uh, to, to make the transition from a very stressful career to retirement. I was going to play uh, two courses in every state mm -hmm. in my first year of retirement. <clears throat> the Christmas before I retired, so five months, uh, a little over five months before I retired, my wife gave me a book about uh, a guy who'd played the top 100 in the world. Hmm. Um, and I looked at the book, and there were 12 courses that she'd marked that I either could get on to or that she could get me on to. Hmm. And so... I thought, if I'm going to play 100 courses, why not just play the best 100 courses in the country? <laughs> and, and, and so that started the quest. So she was supportive. Uh, and had it not been for her, the idea to do so wouldn't have even come to mind. But she was quite supportive and helpful throughout the uh, entire process. That's amazing. And obviously, um, if people haven't read it yet, Max Adler wrote a story on Jimmy uh, Jimmy's year. It's, it's fantastic. You all should check it out. But in it, yeah, he, he mentions that your wife actually, I think um, she's responsible for getting you on to Augusta National, which as any golfer knows is the ultimate, the golden ticket of golf and the toughest tee time to get. So how did that happen? And, and that obviously was a huge step in this process. Yes. So my access to Augusta National actually uh, came before I'd even had the idea to play the, the top 100 courses. Mm. Uh, we moved from Virginia to, uh, to Atlanta uh, for a job move for my wife. She was uh, a senior associate dean at the Darton School of Business in, in Charlottesville, Virginia, and had received an appointment as the dean of the... Uh, business school, Pozueta Business School at Emory University in Atlanta. Wow. So one of the things she said she would do for my support uh, of that move was that she'd figure out a way to get me on to Augusta, to Augusta National. And she followed through. <laughs> she had a board. She had a board member that was a, that was friends with uh, with a uh, one of the members at Augusta National. And he introduced me to that member uh, who agreed to uh, to host me at Augusta, Augusta National. So it actually had nothing to do with Quest to play the, the top 100. But by the time I played the course, uh, I had come up with the idea. But my access to the course had nothing to do with even playing the top 100. But it, was a, <laughs> but it certainly influenced me to be able to do it because I felt that I could do it by already having access to that course. Sure. You mentioned that kind of getting to play Augusta gave you credibility. Now, when you say that, um, did you actually tell other courses that you would play at Augusta and, and that kind of helped get the ball rolling with some of these other places? Yes. So one of the things I anticipated, once I decided that I was going to do it, uh, having played Augusta, having Augusta National as the first course became pretty important uh, 
because of that credibility issue, because I anticipated that people would say, so if you're going to do this, how are you going to get on Augusta National? <laughs> right. And being able to say, I've already played Augusta National. Right. Uh, I thought would be very important. And sure enough, quite often, that's the question I was, I, I was asked. Anytime I brought up the conversation about playing the top 100 courses, that was generally the first question that was, uh, that was asked. The second one that was asked was, are you married? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> which, gets back to, which gets back to the statement you made at the right, beginning right. about needing, a, needing a, a, a supportive family and spouse. But yes, it was uh, very important, I think, and played a major role in the credibility and, and the desire for people to help. And that's really, for me, the biggest story of this whole uh, adventure was how helpful, how generous and gracious the people were that I met along the way. Just some extraordinary people who immediately, as we started to talk about it, anytime the conversation uh, turned to what I was doing um, and we'd start talk of, talking about golf and my quest, uh, they would immediately start thinking how they could help. What could they do to help? Who did they know? What courses did they have uh, friends that were members of? And this thing, it uh, was built, I would say, organically. Mm -hmm. I didn't plan it out well ahead of time. Like I said, the idea didn't even come until about five months before playing. Mm -hmm. And so it was built as I went. And that was only possible because of how helpful and and generous the people were that I met along the way. Sure. Uh, now, obviously, part of the story that that's so incredible is that let, let's just say you weren't a country club kid, and a lot of people probably think, "Oh, this is some guy who grew up at, at the clubs. He knows all these people." That's not the case. Uh, maybe give us a little of your background, and and you didn't even pick up the game of golf till you were forty five. It says uh, Max. Max said. Yeah, growing up, I had no idea what a country club was. That's not even a word that was in my vocabulary. I uh, was was born in um, a house without electricity or running water. Um, had no idea growing up what uh, uh, what golf was even, mm. wow. and so I don't have I don't come from that type of that type of background. I am uh, the only fam the only person in my family that I'm aware of that even plays golf. <laughs> uh, I didn't grow up with friends that played uh, golf. My high school, my high school may have had a golf team. I don't recall mm. because again, golf wasn't something I was very familiar with um, with as a kid. And so growing up. Uh, and I never say to people that I grew up uh, underprivileged. I grew up poor, but not underprivileged, because mm -hmm. there's a there is a lot, lot more to life, and there are a lot more privileges in life than the economic privileges. I had a a very strong uh, mother that embedded a tremendous number of values. Uh, that are important that have been important to me throughout my life and so I was very privileged in regards to who I had as a mother growing up hmm. but I grew up poor 
Um, and so life for me now and the life that uh, uh, has developed over the years is very different from the one that I, I, I started off in. Sure. That, very well said. And then uh, your, your career, obviously, you worked at Exxon. You were um, a fuel logistics uh, guru, I guess. Uh, it, that kind of took you all over the world. You did a lot of traveling. Is that how you got into golf eventually or how, how did that happen? Well, I would say to you that the people who who worked in my organization were the real gurus. They were the they were they were the experts, and I relied heavily upon them for the success of our uh, of our organization. My last role with the company was as the manager for um, uh, uh, logistics. You would call it logistics. Mm -hmm. In, in the Americas, so North, South, and Central America. So that's the movement and storage of the petroleum products that were uh, produced by, uh, by ExxonMobil. Um, I uh, got into golf when I was going to, I had received a new assignment, a new appointment from one position uh, in Fairfax, Virginia to a refinery in Beaumont, Texas. The, uh, the vice president over the organization that I was in said, Jimmy, you're going back to Texas. You need to start shooting something. <laughs> and you, he said, you get the pick. You can shoot par or you can shoot animals. Your choice. <laughs> but uh, you need to start shooting something down in Texas. Uh, the next day, my wife went out and bought me a set of golf clubs. Wow. <laughs> wow. And so I was, I was 45 years old when I took up. Uh, took up the game of golf. I, I learned to play it at the, uh, I think the same club that, a uh, course that Bruce Lidke, uh played in Beaumont, Texas. It's okay. a course called Terrell Park Okay. in Beaumont, Texas. It's uh, wide open and it was a great, uh, a great place to learn to play the game of golf. Now, at that time, I commuted between Charlottesville, Virginia and Beaumont. And I joined my first country club uh, at the age of 45 oh, wow. uh, in, there in Charlottesville, Virginia. So I would learn to play there and then in Texas, uh, learn things in Texas, and then I'd play occasionally when I came home to Charlottesville. Okay. What, what course in Charlottesville? I just took a golf trip there. Uh, Glenmore. Okay. Glenmore Country Club. Nice, nice. Um, now, now, other than so you 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 kind of honed your skills on on those courses, but until you started this quest, you had played only four of the Golf Digest top one hundred, and um, so that that another part that makes this story so crazy. So, you know, what was it about? Do you do you appreciate great courses? Um, did it take a while to appreciate that, or how how did that come about? Where you know it wasn't just about playing golf, but you, you like actually playing great courses in addition i like playing great courses i like the beauty of the courses i like the thought that went into the course i'm i'm an engineer uh, most of us are a little anal on things hmm. and I, I i like to study the design of the course and think about how the golf course architect uh, um looks at the course and how you would play the course. And, and so that, um, got me interested really in the different golf course architects and 
their style and their courses. So that um, uh, and some of the greatest courses obviously are are done by folks like my favorite Seth Rayner and of course mm. uh, Till Tillinghaus. Mm -hmm. uh, um, the courses that are uh, done by uh, Mr. Fazio. Mm -hmm. So there are the, the uh, Donald Ross um, really looking at their style and. And there are a lot of top courses done by them that I was interested in playing. Plus, again, the aesthetics of the course. I love being outdoors. Uh, I was a country boy growing up, ran through open fields and coveralls and bare feet. <laughs> and so I actually enjoy being outdoors and, and the nature, being in nature. Sure. Uh, now, I, I know you said in the story that Augusta was your favorite day but Cypress Point was your favorite course. Uh, can you explain that? Yes, yeah, so Cypress, Cypress Point, um, there are a lot of elements to that in that most of the courses that I played, I wanted to be surprised and have the course reveal itself to me as I played it. Hmm. I had read Mark Frost's book on the match mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, before, so I was already somewhat familiar with, uh, with Cypress mm -hmm. Point. I had envisioned it. And so for that course, I went back and, and, and read through the match again. <laughs> and I laid out my plan for playing that course. Each hole, uh, you have many options on how to play the hole. Hmm. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful course and you have all these options. It's a thinking, I, I believe it's a thinking man's course and, and then the vistas. So all of those elements just come together to make for, uh, just a great golf experience and just the beauty and, uh, the serenity, uh, being out there. Um, you really have to pause and say, does it really get any better than this? Right. And, and so I really enjoyed, uh, enjoyed playing Cyprus. While I was playing Cyprus, um, my, my, my host uh, said to me, when you're finished, Jimmy, I want you to think about uh, if you were um, going to die the next day and you could play one last round of golf, <laughs> uh, what course would you play that round of golf on? Uh, and he said, I don't want you to answer it now, but I'd like to have you answer that after you've played all 100. Okay. And up until I played Pine Valley, mm -hmm. Cypress Point was that course that would be my final course. Mm. The thing that changed my mind on it was, would I want to have my last hole be the 18th hole at Cypress? Mm. The first 17 holes are, are everything that I just told you about. Mm -hmm. the, eight, the 18th hole, I think, is a little anticlimactic. Hmm. And so I came to a different decision at the end and said, if I was going to play my last round, I'd want it to be a tough course like uh, Pine Valley, where hole for hole, shot for shot on each hole is a challenge. Hmm. And if I could stop on the 17th hole uh, at Cyprus or even the 16th hole uh -huh. where you stand there and you make that decision to go over 
the water and go for the green on that par three and hit it <laughs> and then put put out for you put out for a birdie and you'd say you could take me home now right <laughs> but if you, but if you have to play all 18 uh i settled on uh, i settled on uh pine valley wow but that that's that's what really attracted me uh to cypress point and had it really stand out in my mind was the challenge of the the options you have on every hole and the beauty of the course and just the serenity of being out there well those those are the three top three on our list so obviously i guess our panelists are are doing a good job rating them uh what what is your do you have a top five then of, of the courses that you played yeah, so my top five would be those those three, and they're mm-hmm. all for different reasons. You sure. know, the overall experience at Augusta National, uh, the Cypress Point for the reasons I just mentioned on the the many options on how to play the holes and the serenity and beauty of being out there, uh, Pine Valley because uh, I think hole for hole, shot for shot, it's just a fantastic golf course. Uh, the next one for me, number four. Uh, on that list is uh, Fisher's Island. Hmm. I mentioned before that I love Seth Rayner and his designs. I really need those wide fairways that he has and the big greens. Um, and he usually leaves the, the greens open on the front. So a short shot uh, doesn't put you in a bunker. Uh, and just Fisher's Island is a great experience. Beautiful, scenic. And then the uh, fifth would be Marion. Hmm. And Marion because of all of the traditions that they have at Marion. I love the traditions. I, the standing there on the first tee as the uh, patron, the, the, the members sit at the, on the veranda and, uh, and, and have lunch. Uh, and then there's this, as you address your ball, uh, the noise and the clatter of the spoons hitting the, <laughs> the, 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 the flat where, sort of goes eerily silent <laughs> That's and you're, amazing. you know and you're frozen for a moment and then getting ready to uh hit that tee shot it's just a great experience the uh the other traditions that they have they're like the wicker baskets the red wicker baskets mm-hmm. at the on the flag as the as the uh flags uh on the pins on the whole the the locker room uh upstairs there in the clubhouse appears to be in the same condition it was originally mm. the um the uh honor that they played uh, to, that they pay to bobby jones when they dress up in tuxedos each year and go out and toast a glass of champagne to his uh, grand slam just the mm. traditions there they really love the game i also uh my drive on number 18 mm-hmm. landed one inch from the plaque no that marks Yes, oh. one inch, <laughs> one inch from the plaque that marked the uh, the, the, Hogan. The, the the Hogan one yeah. iron shot. Now I I neither carry nor could hit a uh, one iron. So I, I, I hit a, I hit a three hybrid. There you go to the hole to the hole, and uh, uh, I think I the ball uh, landed just to the right of the green, rolled down. I chipped up and one put it for par, I think. Wow. It was a great, it was a great way to end my round at Marion. That's great. Um, some, some stats in this story that kind of jump out because people are, are interested. Uh, you estimated that you spent about 15,000 in greens fees and about 10,000 in caddy fees. Um, how did it work when you went to a private club? Did, did the members 
offer to pay for you? Did you want to pay? Because obviously a lot of these these courses are private courses. There was a mix uh, on on payment in, in several cases. Uh, the host, my host, insisted that they pay, mm-hmm. um, and so that saved <laughs> that saved some money. <laughs> yeah. uh, the uh, in other cases, uh, in other cases, I obviously pay, and in in most cases, I use the we use caddies. Mm-hmm. I'd say probably about 90 of the courses where we caddies. Okay. I, I would, uh, I would cover that regardless of whether the host paid for the green, the guest fee sure. or not, I would cover the caddy fees. Mm-hmm. There were a few, there were a few occasions when the host wouldn't even allow me to pay mm. the caddy fees. And there were also a couple of cases where, um, the host wouldn't even allow me to pay for my, uh, I, my mementos that I would get at each course. At each course, I would purchase a ball mark, mm. the, the the dollar size ball mark, uh-huh. and a cap. <laughs> and in 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 some cases, the uh, my host was insistent that I even uh, allow them to to pay for those mementos. Oh, that's nice. Uh, so they were. It's it's just, that's what I mentioned earlier. Uh, Alex, it's just been amazing. I would tell anybody that this, the people associated with the game of, of with the game of golf, mm-hmm. are just some of the absolute salt of the earth people on the planet. Yeah, uh, kind, generous, uh, very willing to help, and not not once throughout my quest did I feel unwanted or unwelcome at a single club that I played. It was just an amazing experience. That's so cool. And and again, you did most of these rounds solo. I mean, not solo, but you went out there and met other people. You weren't playing with your buddies or, or anything like that. I know you, I think you played around with your wife or at least one, but right. You, part of your experience was that you wanted to meet the people at the clubs. You wanted to meet the caddies. Is that, that's fair to say? Yes, I wanted the full experience. I wanted to meet new people. I wanted to experience courses with local, with locals, with members. Uh, and, but there were also courses that I wanted to share with friends. So some of the rounds were played with, with friends. But interestingly also, Alex, is that the vast majority of the people who hosted me, mm-hmm. I did not know them prior to starting the quest. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. You just, you just made connections. Uh, that's wild. What I, I know you, you, I've heard you uh, talk about this. You did make one logistical mistake. Now you ended up, you, you got through it, but what could you tell what that one was? Um, I, I actually made a couple. Oh, okay. The <laughs> primary, the primary, I made a few mistakes along the way. The, the primary one was Shinnecock right, right. Hills. Yeah. Um, I should have done a lot more research beforehand and understood uh, which courses were having tournaments, mm-hmm. to understand which courses were having tournaments and which courses were going to be closed for renovation, mm-hmm. um, when courses open and closed for the season. Uh, Shinnecock, I should have played in the late spring or uh, early summer or fall of 2017. I did not. <laughs> uh, 
and when it came time to play Shinnecock, to, I, uh, I did develop a contact, uh, a member that was going to take me out uh, to play. We scheduled it a couple of months in advance. Uh, Shinnecock Hills had restrictions on the number of, of guests a member could bring ahead of the U.S. Open. Hmm. Um, uh, unfortunately, my host had a death in the family uh, a week before we were scheduled to play. And the funeral was set for that day uh, that we were scheduled to play. Oh, wow. And by that time, most of the, the uh, members had used up their guest privileges, and those that hadn't certainly... Uh, had plans to do so and weren't going to do it on a stranger. Right. <laughs> uh, so it became very difficult. And there were, I would say there were more people w helping me find a new host for Shinnecock than it helped me with all the other courses combined. <laughs> there wow. were people, uh, many, many people working to, uh, to help. And the person that came through at the end that did a true solid, was Jimmy Dunn. Mm. Uh, I had been introduced to Jimmy earlier, and initially he was going to host me at Chicago uh, Golf Club, but we really couldn't get the date to work out on that one, so uh, someone else hosted me. Um, but but uh, Jimmy agreed to uh, to host me on the last Sunday, the last day that members were allowed to bring guests at Wow, wow. Just got it in, and and also you had you had twenty nine courses to go with only thirty five days. So that's amazing. You you ended up getting through. Did were you worried that uh, your your quest was going to come you know that close? I mean, again, it's not like if you didn't get it done, it would have been the end of the world. You could have just extended a little. But but were you worried it wasn't going to happen at one point? Well, it to me it would have almost felt like the end of the world because <laughs> I, I I I had I. I got on so many courses and the people that were helping me, I felt a real strong obligation because they were helping me under the premise that mm. I was going to, that I was going to play the top 100 courses, um, in one year. Right. Right. And that was, that was my commitment. So right. I felt a strong sense of responsibility to meet that commitment. Right. I, I would have felt that I had been dishonest or something if I had failed to do it. So there was, I was going to pull out all the stops and do everything within my power to do what I had said to people that I was going to do. Sure. And, and so I didn't, uh, there were times where it felt really, really hard, but I believed the whole time that somehow it would work out <laughs> that if I can, it's just a part of that, um, those values and the work ethic that was uh, just drilled into me by my mother of once you set your mind to doing something, you need to do everything you can to get it done. Sure. And so I, I figured one way or another, if I worked hard, if I uh, maintained my commitment, if I kept my faith, that it would work out in the end. Uh, I really, truly believed that it would. And I didn't doubt that it would. I just didn't know exactly how it would. 
What, was there anything that really surprised you along the way? To me, the thing that jumped out in your story was that Milwaukee Country Club was the hardest course to actually get on. That, that kind of surprised me. Was there anything like that that, that kind of stunned you along the way? Uh, I would tell you, up until yesterday, I still had not met another member that could take me out to Milwaukee Country Club. <laughs> <laughs> yesterday, wow. someone, yesterday, I got an email from someone who said they'd be happy to do so. <laughs> and, 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 and they apologized for it being so, they apologized for it being so hard. But it was, wow, that's it crazy. was hard. And that was a surprise. Yeah. What I, I, I knew people in Milwaukee, but none of them had actually even heard of Milwaukee Country Club. <laughs> um, and Milwaukee Country Club is actually in uh, River Hills, just north of Milwaukee. It's, a, it's very close to Brown Deer, which I think is one of the best uh, public courses in the country. The Greater hmm. Milwaukee Open was played there. I think oh, wow. Tiger... I think Tiger Woods may have gotten his first win uh, there. It was certainly one of the first tournaments he played in. Okay. But that that was a surprise. Hmm. On the on the pleasant side, I was surprised at um, how how helpful people were and mm-hmm. how e- how actually how easy it became to. Um, to gain access to some of the most difficult courses because people were so helpful and so generous. Right. That was a very pleasant, uh, a very pleasant surprise. Sure. So what's your golf schedule now? And you know, we do have a, a second 100 and a world 100 and all these other things. Is that, is that what's next for you? Uh, my schedule now I'm back to playing a little bit more, regularly i i took a i took a i took a i took a break uh for for a little bit uh i have uh gotten lots of invitations from lots of people to play their courses that are in that second top 100 (laughs) great uh but i uh i have two uh two teenagers that are in their final years of high school okay and uh, my focus now is spending a lot of time with them. <laughs> That's good. Good. Uh, I, I, I do plan to continue to stay current on the top 100, uh, on golf Digest's top 100 list. So mm-hmm. uh, every two years, as you come out with a new list, I'll over that, the course of those two years, I'll play the, the new courses that are added. I would, I would like to eventually, uh, over time, play the top 100, uh, the top 100 in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I've been told by folks that it's actually a little easier to gain access to those courses than it is the top 100 in the U.S. Yeah, I can see that. Um, it's just that it's a little bit more expensive with all of the travel that you have to do to sure. uh, to, to to play those. Uh, so I and there's one big goal I think I've set. There are some other people that I think are legends um, and pioneers in these efforts to play the top courses in the world, mm-hmm. like uh, Paul Rudowski, um, who uh, is one of your panelists and uh, one of the first people, I think, to play the top 100 and has gone on to play uh, most of the courses, close to all the courses that have ever been on any list. Uh, there's Bob McCoy, hmm. uh, who 
has played the top 100 in the world and then turned around and played him again within 100 days. Wow. Uh, there's, there's Bob Fagan. I would like to have a foursome with Paul uh, Rudowski, uh, Bob Fagan, and Bob McCoy uh, on the, the, one of the top five courses uh, in the country. <laughs> that, would, that would, I think, be a great, uh, a great foursome and a great outing. Yeah, well, you are an instant legend for what, what you did. Do you have uh, any advice for anyone? I'm, I'm, you know, I'm maybe 20 years or so away from retiring. What, what do I need to do to kind of, do I need to start laying the groundwork for, for an adventure like this? For me, this was also about making that transition from a job where you have a lot of responsibility and you have relevancy. Hmm. You're relevant. You're relevant. People come to you uh, to make decisions and choices and to lead an organization to uh, to drive efforts to get people to believe in themselves that they can do as a team more than you could do as an individual. Uh, and how do you end that and go from 100 miles an hour? Go from that sense of relevancy to uh, retirement. I've seen a lot of people do it uh, not so well, and some people do it well. Mm-hmm. My my quest to play the top 100, I think, if I'm really truly honest with myself, was my plan on how I remain relevant mm. moving from a career to retirement. So I think it's important that as you move from that uh, career and that uh, sense of being relevant to retirement, that you have something immediately that you can do that's meaningful, that uh, keeps you occupied, that keeps your mind sharp, that continues to challenge you. Mm. And so I would recommend to people that are approaching retirement that they start to plan well ahead. I think most people do a good job of planning for it financially but the bigger challenge is what do you do with your time what do you do with yourself how do you still maintain a sense of uh, relevancy yeah that's interesting a couple years ago i did a story on a guy barry gibbons and his first year of retirement he walked 878 rounds of golf and that he he, so he broke the record for walking rounds in a year but I, i think i'll take your top 100 feet over his because yours sounds a lot more fun by the way you also played 70 other rounds and went to ireland for a golf trip you you really are a legend i don't know how you pulled this off man well i i on the <laughs> ireland part on the ireland part that was actually family vacation okay okay there you go and and i don't normally play golf on our family vacations but um uh, my wife is friends with uh, former uh, uh, CEO of Coca-Cola, Neville Isdale. Okay. And, and Neville is a, a great Irishman who said, there's no way you can go to Ireland without playing the, the top course in the world. And so he convinced my wife to allow me to play Royal County Down. Yep. I, I thought that I could just show up there on a day that the public was allowed to mm-hmm. play and go out and play uh, because I'd been able to do that on so many other courses uh, in, in uh, the British Isles. I was surprised when I showed up and the, uh, the uh, head pro there said, I'm sorry, Mr. James, but we've been booked solid. 
Oh. Uh, for we've been booked solid since May, and our book solid through October. <laughs> you have you you have to have a booking. Oh. I said, well, I went I went online and I uh, put in something for a booking, but I didn't hear back. He said, well, when did you do that? I said a couple of days ago. <laughs> he, he laughed and he said, "I'll humor you. I'll go and look." But uh-huh. I doubt if I, I doubt if your your booking was granted because, as I said, we've been booked up solid since May. He goes into the system. He looks and he says, "You're not going to believe this. There is one opening. Uh-huh. We have one opening showing up in the system, and it's for nine o'clock this morning. Uh, I'm sorry. He said it's for ten o'clock this morning. I don't know." If it's really there or not, uh, I don't really deal with that part of uh, our process, but our front office will be in at 9 o'clock, and if the opening is truly there, it's yours. Why don't you go upstairs, wait around in the uh, locker room upstairs, and when they come in, I'll come find you, and I'll let you know. 9 o'clock, he shows up, and he says, you must be Irish because you're the luckiest man in the world. <laughs> the one opening that we have between now and October is this morning, and it's yours. Unreal. So I had the opportunity to play the number one course in the world. Unreal. Wow. Well, it sounds like, yeah, you have a lot of good breaks going your way. You have, obviously, an extraordinary wife who encouraged you to do all this, and uh, just an amazing accomplishment, man. Really, congratulations. A lot of fun. Um, I, I think, you know, the World Golf Hall of Fame class just was announced for next year. I had, I'd almost put you in there for what you did. I mean, that, that is something else, man. So congratulations. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you very much, uh, Alex. As you could tell, I really enjoy talking about the adventure and talking about golf. So thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to share my story uh with with you this morning of course and let us know when you when you come by new york again for sure we'll have to play absolutely all right man take care thanks jimmy bye-bye thanks again to jimmy james for giving us his uh breakdown of his incredible year on the course uh, let's move on to some awards for this week. Best one-day story, and I know Sam's going to laugh at this because it's, <laughs> it's such a thin story, but Jan Stevenson, the newest, one of the newest Hall of Fame members, class of 2019, says that she's in talks for a movie about her life and that Margot Robbie wants to play her mm-hmm. in the movie. Right. What, what do we, well, I mean, I wish you were doing air quotes when you said in <laughs> talks because it was <laughs> – that it, was the quote, by the way. She says, <laughs> she said, uh, she, I, she said she wants to play me. I mean, it could very be like they were online at Whole Foods. She's like, hey, I love, congratulations, <laughs> yeah. hey, we should do a movie, I'll play you. Like, uh, yeah, that sure. could be in talks. <laughs> yeah. So we don't know how significant it is. I mean, I think there's, there's you know, dramatic value in her story and what she I, dealt I with so. and all that. And as I said to you yesterday, I would never turn down uh, seeing a movie yeah. about, with Margot Robbie in yeah. it. But at the same time, I just don't know how real this is. Yeah, I don't know if I'm saying her name right. Robbie or Roby? Pretty Mar- sure it's Robbie. 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 I wasn't going to correct you. That's ah, all right. I, yeah, I tried. She's also a big uh, Ranger fan, by the way, Margot Robbie. Goes to a so lot of Ranger games. That's why we like her. Well, Steve, what do you think? Would you buy a movie with her in it, Margot, Margot Robbie, playing Jan Stevenson? Yeah, I mean, it's any sort of golf connection with Margot Robbie, I'm all in, all right? In. Yeah. And Jan Stevenson, you know, really interesting story. People of our generation probably, if you know, unless yeah. you're a huge no, golf I, fan, you really don't appreciate exactly. what she went through in the 60s, 70s, sure. being a a sex symbol of sorts. Yep. Um, 
So, yeah, good idea. And Margot Robbie, I know I was maybe more obsessed with this movie than anybody else, but I, Tanya is an unbelievable movie. Yeah. I'm still <laughs> furious that it wasn't nominated for Best Picture when they do 10 and they only did nine nominations. At least Margot Robbie was nominated for uh, Best Actress. I think, um, what's her name? McDonald, the one from Three Billboards. She's amazing. Um, and Frances Margot, McDormand. Frances McDormand. She's amazing. But Margot Robbie, I don't know how she didn't win. She learned how to skate. Right. She's doing like double axles out there mm-hmm. on the ice. It's Tanya. She made Tanya Harding likable. So uh, she could do a great job uh, with Jan Stevenson. All right. Pros are just like us. And this is actually, I'm, I'm cheating here because they're not just like us. Danielle Kang. I know I've mentioned this just a few times in the past few weeks since I played with her at this Pro-Am, the Gary Player Invitational. She shot 63. It should have been 62. She lipped out from four feet on the final hole. It's the women's course record at Glen Arbor. She now has since gone on to finish T3 and now a win at the, in China mm-hmm. over the weekend. Just her second win. She's an amazing story and, right. and i'm very happy for her obviously to win and I, I can tell people i saw this coming with the 63 and everything but um you know steve you were talking before i mean you know she's gone through some crazy stuff just recently yeah apparently it was last week that she was over the over a shot uh at in a tournament round and it took her like five minutes before she could pull the trigger and you know like a mental swing yip yeah. sort of thing and uh, she's went from working with David Ledbetter to Butch Harmon now, mm-hmm. who she's credited uh, to kind of revitalizing her career. But really interesting that, you know, she won those back-to-back U.S. Am, US women's mm-hmm. AMs, you know, and then didn't win for six or seven years right. and went through that period and kind of stuck through it. It's it's kind of a marvel of, you know, how do you stick with it and sure. play tour golf for, for that long and then finally break through seven years later. Well, we were saying before about Paul Azinger about how golfers, you sort of, you see a little bit of yourself in them or a little bit of a struggle that they have. They understand the game on a level that you understand. Well, if someone who has struggled with their game that much and, you know, has trouble pulling the club back, it's yeah. something on some level um, we've all dealt with. So it makes you immediately likable. And mm-hmm. we always say, yeah. like, that, you know, every, every golf tour, especially the LPGA tour, which is constantly trying to, you know, grab a little bit more attention for people, needs people that that um, the average fan can relate to. And, mm-hmm. you know, she'd be a great player to really break out and have yeah. and, and, yeah. and ascend to the next level. She's got a real personality. Re- yeah. Very fun, very feisty. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so, yeah, it is pros are just like us because we've all struggled. Sam, you had the yips this summer. Oof. Um, yeah. Uh, Actually, the shanks. The shanks. The shanks. Right. shanks. shanks. Like shanks. A subdivision of the I've shanks. I've had to drive her yips. yips. You had the shanks, at right. least what I call it. And, and here she goes. She's winning tournaments. Um, you mentioned, Steve, yes, yeah, she is working with Butch Harmon now. So he's getting the credit, but I'd like to say I, I had a little piece hey, of this. We too. could she call this the Alex Myers she saw effect. The, yeah, exactly. Keely likes to take credit for when she does instruction shoots and the players go, I'm right. taking credit for this. Yeah. So she saw your 60-degree magic. Exactly. Again, she didn't have to use a 60-degree because she <laughs> – well, actually, she did on par fives where she was birdieing or eagling everyone. But right. she never had to get up and down. She hit every green. So Is it possible she saw Alex's swing? She's like, okay, definitely yeah. don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now yeah, I have a mental block in my head. So, yeah, good for Danielle. Uh, we'd like to see her continue that success. Um, all right, moving on. Uh, our nugget of the week, our stat of the week, involves Sergio Garcia. I alluded to it earlier. And this is according to uh, official World Golf Ranking guru Nosferatu on Twitter. Uh, he's an essential follow if you don't already. He chronicled Sergio's career. And believe it or not, more than 5% of his 
world golf rankings that he's earned in his entire career have come at Valderrama, that course. Wait, 5% of the points he's— He's earned in his entire career. So that's his three wins at three this wins tournament. Three wins plus a lot of other high finishes. Right. There's uh, a WGC there a yep, couple times, Yeah, there's a WGC right? there. Right. Yeah, I think he's played there maybe 14 times, and he has 13 top 10s. So he owns this course. Right. And now, again, the last few years it's been against a weaker field, and he's won. But let's talk about you know taking advantage of, of one course. And it's a course that p- people were panning yeah. last week on Twitter. Everyone from John Hogan, who pans every course, to <laughs> people who, who don't pan every course were killing it. The trees and everything. So that we saw Gonzalo Fernandez Castano get up and down by pitching it through a tree on right. one hole. So anyway, it's an interesting course, but Sergio, uh, he works his magic there better than anybody. All right, we're moving on. Uh, we are to the first WGC of the season already. We're just a few weeks in. The WGC HSBC Champions in Shanghai. This is uh, usually a shootout. And um, this is known as the place where Dustin Johnson blew a six-shot lead last year, which tied the Oof. record of Greg Norman and Sergio Garcia. People forget about that. And, wow. yeah, and Justin Rose won, which is right. part of the reason why he ascended to number one and won the FedEx Cup. And this is where they do those wacky photo shoots every year. And I don't know if they're going to do it this year because if you remember last year, Henrik Stenson alluded that he may have oh, injured right. his rib right. while when he said, quote, they thought I was Superman. He was hanging from these <laughs> strings over, um, I think Hideki Matsuyama was like, holding the trophy and Aww. it was Dustin Stenson and Hao Tong Lee were hanging from these strings from above. So we'll, we'll have to look out because I know we enjoy seeing those yeah, photos. If Stenson ruins that for yeah, all of us, might. all of us content creators yeah. that yeah. rely on these photos in the fall here. And yeah. the HSBC people should own it and be like, this is not the reason you got hurt. Right. Just, right. You know, not back down at all. He later said it wasn't, but at first when he got injured, he, he kind of hinted it was. He also finished runner up though. So he couldn't have been. Oh, sure. That so he was really yeah. hurt. injured, but then he shut it down like the week after. Yeah. Um, anyway, who guys, who do you like Steve? I'll, I'll go to you first. Uh, I mean, Justin Justin Rose coming off the FedEx Cup win. If he's a uh, returning champ here, defending champ like him, uh, you know, WGC event, he rises to the occasion. And uh, I think this is a, a golf course, the Session International, that it's a ball striker's course. Um, Got to keep the ball in front of you. So I like Jay Rose. So you do have to keep the ball in front of you here. Yeah, people forget. <laughs> it's good to know. You good don't not. want it behind you. Okay, good to know. Thank you. Sam? Uh, I'm going to go um, a guy that's kind of touted as a potential breakout star. Who came off a good week last week is Cameron Smith, Australian. Finished T7 last week. And, I just, you know, you just keep hearing this is a guy that's 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 um, poised to do big things. He's obviously had a couple of high finishes um, of late. And he's the, type of, he's the type of guy who, you know, is very good at keeping the ball in front of him. And no, so – <laughs> <laughs> um, Tell me sorry. more about that. <laughs> so anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna okay. take a take a shot at him. I went with Cam Smith a couple weeks ago in our in our gambling column for a top ten even too, and, yep. and of course I missed him by you a week. Him. Yeah, yeah, I mushed him. Um, I'm gonna go with Hideki Matsuyama, who I just mentioned. He, he won here, 2016. Um, he started. He had a really tough start to the season this year. He had some injuries and everything else, but by the playoffs he was really rolling. And again, former winner here. Because he didn't do well last year, I assume even if there is one of these photo shoots, he won't be involved. So that you know cuts down the chance of getting injured. And uh, so yeah, I'm going with Hideki. It's 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 been a while since he won. You need to um, get him back. You know he was a guy who was on the way to number one just uh, last summer. Yeah, so. kind of struggled a, a little bit this past no. year. Um, 
pretty good field this week. I mean, very good field for I these mean, past yeah, yeah for these Asian events. You know, they weren't the greatest fields the right. last two weeks. So if there's a week to actually tune in, might be this week. Yeah, and this, keep uh, the ball in front of you. Too. Keep the ball in front of you. Mm-hmm. Tune in this week, but again, it's going to be tough with the time difference. Right. right. Unfortunately, um, you know, how does it shake out? I mean, if you if you stay up late on the East Coast, I guess you can catch the end of it, but it's tough. There's so much good stuff to watch. Steve, wait, have you started making murder? Yeah, I'm, I'm halfway through. Dude, episode five. It's so. unreal. It's, it's on. It's, it's such a crazy story. Is it the original one or is there no? That was part two. Yeah, oh, same just guy? the same guy. Oh, it's wow. unbelievable. Just came At out first, on Friday. I was like ten more hour episodes no way i've one left i mean i can't wait to they're watch it. they're kind of milking it a little maybe but, but the story is, is so incredible how good is this lawyer yeah she, i mean she's Unreal. made such a name for herself Unreal. and she was already had a pretty yeah. good reputation but Sam, now you got it all gotta right get into i'm it. sold yeah. yeah all right it's incredible. all right guys thanks for listening thanks to jimmy james for joining us please subscribe to us on apple Podcasts if you haven't done so already and please check back next week to see who our guest is